Amen. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're here this morning as a mom, I just I want to just on this day that we set aside for the purpose of honoring you, thank God for your contribution in our lives and the lives of your children for your sacrifice. Uh, I am conscious of the fact that we live in a world that does not value as we should what you do. And uh, this morning, I just want to, just before I start sharing the Word of God, just thank you for the sacrifices that you make. And I, I just want to encourage you to understand the impact that you have in our lives, that is the lives of your husbands. And when you walk in obedience, the difference it makes for your children is... It's one of those things that I think only heaven will give the full and clear picture and story of uh, the benefit of women who are devoted to their God-given responsibility of caring for and raising their children. Leads me into the discussion that we're going to look at this morning from 1 Corinthians 11, which I want to say up front is a difficult passage of Scripture at many levels. Uh, Some parts of this text are very complex And I want to just say up front, my desire this morning is not to answer all of the questions that are raised as you read through this portion of Scripture. My desire is to hit some of the highlights that are present here and to see how they relate on this Mother's Day to the context of our relationships at home and how this unique thing called family that God created started at the beginning, put a structure in it, how that can so incredibly bless a community, a church, and a culture. And when it is destroyed, when that original design and plan is lost, to understand that there are consequences that are not immediately visible, and yet they are there. When the God-ordained structure for home is lost. We live in a culture that misunderstands role relationships. We live in a, a world where there have been many abuses we have images when we think of role relationships of a, some kind of blind, servile obedience or images of dictatorship, of dominance. And I hope by the grace of God that as we look at the biblical truth in regards to this topic, that we can shatter the bad models, the bad examples that sometimes are present men in our own lives and women in our own lives, the misunderstandings that are out there to say, God, I, and this is what I would ask you to do this morning, ask God to shine the light of his truth into your heart to expose errors that you have believed, and then to pull you back to a God-honoring understanding of role relationships in the context of the home. Let's begin reading in verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Let me just say this about verse number two, because I I think it is critical in a church that is non-denominational, that that we understand that being non-denominational doesn't mean that we don't have beliefs that we want to cling to and hold to and proclaim. Our desire is to be a biblical church to strive in everything that we do to come into conformity with the proclaimed Word of God. And in this text, Paul is 
holding up this kind of a standard. He says, I praise you for remember me in, remembering me in everything and for holding to the teaching just as I pass them on to you. So that what Paul is teaching when he's writing in the book of 1 Corinthians is truth that was passed on to him either from another apostle or from God and is inscripturated and passed on to the church. The expectation is, and the praise from Paul is, is in this regard, that the people who were receiving the word received it as it was in truth, the word of God, and that they, the hope was that they would adjust this imbalance that is present in Corinth. They would adjust this misunderstanding of real relationships and bring it into alignment with the clearly revealed truth of God's word. And so Paul's hope and praise is that in some areas they have cling to it, but in some of the passages that are coming, they have been ignoring and in a sense belittling the word of God. So it sets up then what you read from verse 3 and following, that what Paul is giving is not his opinion about role relationships, okay, which in secular university and unfortunately in some Christian universities is the way this text is now being taught. When you reject this text, you're told you're just rejecting Paul's misunderstandings of God's original design and intent. I believe differently about this passage. I believe that it does communicate God's will and purpose for world relationships. And I believe that when they're followed, they will bring tremendous harmony and love and unity in the context of our homes. The first concern that we as Christians should have when we read a passage of Scripture is this. Will I be faithful to obey what God teaches me from this passage of Scripture? Not what is my emotional reaction to it, not what is my intellectual reaction to it, not what does the culture say about this topic because I want to be received by the culture. The question I need to ask is, what does God say? And then to pray your heart out that God will give you the courage to walk in obedience and in conformity with what He is revealing. So that, in a sense, kicks off this discussion. He says, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Everyone who pray, every man who prays with his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved, which is a fascinating statement of dishonor in the ancient world. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off, for it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off. She should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. Talking about Genesis 1, the original creation. But the woman, because she comes from man, is the glory of man. Now she bears the image of God, but man uniquely. And there is this picture of a, a, a degree of structure or subordination within the creation order that emerges. Verse 8. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now that, I understand we're in the world that I live in, that everybody's not looking at that verse saying, you know, I really like that. Okay, that one hits us. It's like, oh, what, what is Paul saying? He says, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. And man, but neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Verse 10. For this reason, and because of the angels. Fascinating statement. The women ought to have a sign of authority on her head. And that sign of authority, I think, is what draws forward to where we live. In the Lord, however, the woman is not independent of the man. And this is where Paul's saying, oh, by the way, however, if you're tending to take this inappropriately and coming to conclusions that would take you outside of the realm of Scripture, 
the woman is not independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of women. But everything comes from God. Okay, and then he goes on to a final discussion that uh, I'll just quickly touch base on at the very end. Now, what do we know from this passage of Scripture? Okay, what do, what is, what's on the surface clear and evident? Okay, one thing in verses 4 and 5 is this. Women and men, in the context of a Sunday worship service, are functioning in similar ways. Okay, they're both prophesying and praying with her with her head covered, him with his head uncovered. Okay, so at the very basic level, there is a similarity in ministry. Not an exact correspondence, as we would see if we went to other passages, but it's not that women didn't participate in the public worship service. Because what Paul's doing is regulating how they participate and how men participate. Okay, which I think is an interesting balance as you move into this text. Okay, he's not saying that women don't have function. We are delighted to have women share in the context of our church. Jillian, you blessed my heart this morning with what you shared. And it's, it's just a good example of how we, we work together. Paul's not saying that can't happen. He's regulating how it happens. So that's the first thought. Secondly, the veil or head covering that's the, the, the center of this discussion in the ancient world was a symbol of marriage. Okay, in the first century church, in that time period in the Roman Empire, the veil was a symbol that that woman was married, and it would communicate, when she was wearing it, a respect for her husband, and if she took it off in public, it would communicate a disrespect. Okay, so that's the, the cultural setting and the symbol that communicated respect at that time on the part of a woman towards her husband. Now, one thing we need to understand as we go into this is that some biblical symbols are cultural. Okay? But the meaning that they are communicating by God is not cultural. Okay? So the symbol may vary from culture to culture. But the truth that the symbol is communicating doesn't vary. It's from God and it is to be communicated. So we and our culture don't wear a head covering as a symbol of respect for one's husband. Right, ladies? I, mean, I don't see any here this morning. Okay? In some cultures in our world, they do wear a head covering, and it is the external symbol that I respect, honor, and love my husband. And to take it off would be to dishonor the marriage relationship that she's in. Now, what the English Standard Version has done in light of that, and I like this translation personally, they take this text as speaking to married couples in the context of church life. And they translate the word woman as wife because the symbol in the text and the word gune for woman could either be woman or wife. It could be either way. And so they translate it as wife, which I think is helpful in understanding or getting your arms around the more complex sides of this passage. So some symbols are cultural, like foot washing. Jesus said, I want you to do what I did. What is he saying? Does he want us literally to wash each other's feet? And all of you are saying, I hope not. <laughs> okay. But what is the what's the principle that carries forward? Sacrificial love and service to one another. Find a way to do that in your culture. Ladies, in this text, I think he's saying, find a way to honor your husband. Some passages uh, in uh, Timothy, greet one another with a holy kiss. There are cultures in our world where that is the normal means of receiving a brother or sister in Christ. 
It was an expression of love. In our culture, what do we do? We give each other a hug or we give a handshake. It's the means by which we say, I honor your presence. I receive you as my brother or sister in Christ. Okay? That, how that respect for each other looks varies from culture to culture. But the principle of loving each other and receiving each other abides because that is a God-given truth. The expression of it may change. So, it signified marriage. It was a cultural symbol acknowledging God-ordained structure in marriage. That's the background behind this text. Okay, now I want to just break it apart, asking how do we follow God's design in the context of our homes, which are the foundation of our culture and the foundation of the church. Okay, the strength of families in the body of Christ determines the strength of the body of Christ. Same is true for the culture. We live in a world that is attacking the very foundation of culture. It's attacking the nature of family. Okay, when you, you hear all the political discussion, all the arguments, all the debates about this or that, the real issue at stake is the foundation of our culture. Personal freedom has never led to a complete unity. Freedom with restrictions, with boundaries. That's why democratic government tends to work out pretty good. It restrains the evil that is sometimes present in leaders because there are these various bodies of accountability that's why we have democracy, because it acknowledges that humanity has a sinful tendency to run amok. That's why we have laws. Okay, and the same thing is true when you committed this passage of Scripture. We need to understand that God is establishing family as the foundation of culture. And when people attack it, God directs a writer in Scripture to respond to that distortion, that perversion with truth to seek to set the model straight, to get it right. So, how do we follow God's design in our homes? And let's just read through verses 3 through... Let's just start on verse 3. Paul says, now I want you to realize... So, he, he says, I want you to understand there's a foundation under the discussion about family. The head of every man is Christ. Men live under God-ordained authority. There is a structure. The head of every man, every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Okay, now, what is he doing? He's laying out a theological underpinning that he's going to launch from to have a discussion about marital and family life. Okay, that's, that's where he's going to move. Role relationships are modeled where? They're modeled in the Godhead. Okay, so when, when, when you look at the Godhead, what do you see? You see equality... God in three persons, equal in their existence and power, but you see structure within the Godhead. It's the direction that Paul's beginning to move. So the first thought in your outline is this. Accept and honor God-ordained structures. Okay? Role relationships in the context of family are modeled within the Godhead, which is eternal. My relationship with my wife in some way says something about God. It either distorts the image of God or it upholds the image of God. Within the Trinity there is, and this I think is, is very important to establish, within the Trinity you find structure, but you also find equality, right? The reason most people want to reject God -given, a God-given understanding of role relationships in the context of the home is because they impart the word value to roles. Don't we do that in our culture? Somebody achieves a lot in the realm of music, becomes very wealthy. We, we impart value to them. 
Okay? Um, within the Godhead, there is this idea of structure and equal equality in essence, however, abides, even though they have different functions. What's fascinating to me in this area of, of our tendency to reject the God-ordained structure of family is this. Many people in this building this morning go to a job on Monday morning. And you have somebody above you, a superior of some kind in most cases. Okay? Do you see that superior as greater in value, in substance, than you? Do you see it that way? Your child goes to school and you say to them, I want you to listen to your teacher. Are you saying to them that your teacher is more valuable than you? That somebody at the school is going to get get hurt. I don't want it to be the teacher. I want it to be you. Is that what we're saying? No, it, it would be absurd, wouldn't it? So in the workplace, we have different functions, but humanity is humanity. People are people. Made by God, created by God, for the glory of God. And God, within culture, puts structure. There's governmental structure. We have a president. We have senators. Are they more valuable than us? They have different functions than us, but you know what? They're people just like we are. Same thing is true in the context of the home. Same thing is true in the context of the Trinity. So role relationships are first modeled in the Trinity. And this idea, if you look in verse 3, you'll you'll see the word head comes up three times. Okay, and the word head clearly takes on the connotation of authority. There's some type of structure that is present there. Some will debate this point. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, we think it is exegetically and logically inescapable that there is some kind of authority in Christ's headship over the church and the Father's headship of the Son. Though that headship is given and received, and I love this statement, that headship is given and received in mutually self-sacrificial delight and love. Isn't that powerful? The relationship within the Godhead is experienced in this give and take of mutual self-sacrifice and love. The Son sacrificing for the glory of the Father to purchase a redeemed people. The Father loving His Son. And you see that as you go through the life of Christ. So this idea of accepting and honoring God-ordained structures is to be done because first, those relationships are modeled within the Godhead. This then means that men and women are being called into the what C.S. Lewis calls the dance of the Trinity, the love relationship that occurs within the Trinity, the interaction, John 17, that Jesus talks about. Men and women, in the context of marriage, are to enjoy this very similar self-sacrificing and loving towards each other. That's what's modeled in the Godhead. And so that becomes the foundation for Paul's discussion. He lays out a theological foundation. And then he says this. Role relationships are present in the home and should be honored. And this really is the essence of verses 4 through 6. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is as though her head were shaved. That she were, and in that context, to have someone's hair cut off completely would be to shame them, to embarrass them. And when it says she dishonors her head, you have to go up to back, back up to verse 3 to find out who is the head of the woman. And in context, you find that the head of the woman is her husband. And the husband, however, is not the, the free authority over her. He is under God. 
He is a greater degree or higher degree of authority. And so the first thought that emerges from this text is that the role relationships modeled within the Godhead and those role relationships filter down to and are present within the context of the home. The idea of this text, her praying with her head uncovered and dishonoring her head, her husband, is that if she takes off that veil, she, in a sense, is saying, I'm not married. And he's saying it's just as if she is disgracing her husband to the point that she might as well just cut off her own, what later is going to be called her glory. Okay, because the woman's hair is given to her as a means of displaying her beauty and honor. So, in our culture, what would a sign like that be? Okay, that's a question that comes up. What would a sign be that would be equivalent to that? Some in, in some of the commentaries that I've read will point to the fact that perhaps the wedding ring, the engagement ring, is the symbol that we wear externally that says, I am given to another man, I am devoted to him, I am married, and enjoying that relationship with him. Now, this idea of God-ordained structures in context Okay, I think it's very important that we just say this. The context that's being discussed in 1 Corinthians 11 is the context of church life and family life. Okay, I don't believe personally that these structures that are given in the context of marriage, talking about male leadership, apply outside. I don't believe that women in the context of their workplace, because they have a man in their presence, are are uh, obligated to treat him as if she would her husband. There is a very specific context in which these principles are worked out. I think it's important that we just say that up front, okay? The context in which God talks about this male-female leadership kind of a position is in two contexts biblically. One is the family and the other is at some level within the church. Okay? So that's the first thought that I want to cover. Men... Something that emerges out of this is, 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 I think, very powerful for us. Lead in the context of your home. But remember that your leadership in the context of your home is a delegated authority. Okay, you exercise your authority in the context of your home as someone who is directly accountable to Christ. Okay, and that will, when you remember it, that will hold you in check. Okay, and keep you from overstepping your boundaries and not being kind to your wife. It is not a self-centered exercise of power, but it is leadership that takes care to serve your wife. And ladies, let me just say this. I believe with all my heart that to embrace the biblical model of role relationships in a fallen world takes great trust and faith. It takes great trust and faith to say, God, I'm going to do what you told me to do. All right, and it will mean that if you say to people, I really believe that, that it is, it is likely that at times you will experience criticism for holding, and to, for holding to and believing that very simple position. Second thought I want to look at is found in verses 7 through 10. Let's look along here. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. In other words, he doesn't need to wear a symbol of submission on earth because he has a spiritual headship with God, so he doesn't wear a covering. And, and, and in most cultures around the world, when you go to pray, you know, in an American context, you go to pray, sing the national anthem, the hat comes off. Why? It, it's a symbol of just of, of, of taking away the symbols of authority, okay, and acknowledging the greater authority that's being honored. That's the picture. Verse 8, 
For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, a woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. There ought to be some means by which she displays her acceptance of God-ordained structure. Now, the second thought I want to deal with is this. Proper honor and respect for one's mate honors God's original design. Okay? Proper respect and honor for one's mate, and I think this can move in two directions, demonstrates honor for original design. So we should honor the original design. Proper respect and honor in the context of marriage is a means by which we embrace God-given structure. Okay, when a husband loves his wife, like Christ loved the church, and when a wife responds to her husband like her husband is to respond to God, there is something beautiful that begins to happen in the context of that relationship. There is a blessing from God that begins to pour down. Now, what, what, what is verse 7 basically saying, okay? And I think it's this. This design, this original design, is rooted in creation order. Okay, what is Paul doing? He's arguing back and saying, the man was created first, then the woman. The woman comes from the man because Adam had a rib taken out of his side, and from that, God formed the woman. So there's this, in the original design and flow, there is a picture of how relationships are to occur within the context of marriage. Okay, so Paul's argument is not uh, rooted in culture. It's rooted in the original design and creation. The flow of creation gives us an understanding of how God wants us to relate to each other. Man exercised authority in naming the animals. Then God caused him to fall asleep and brought a woman to his side. From him, for him, but complementary in nature. Okay, a helper suitable so that together they would form a family and a marriage through which they could honor God. What's the problem with this thought that proper respect and honor for one's mate honors God's original design? Here, I think, is the problem. There are no perfect mates. Okay? There are no perfect mates. If you want to know what it's like to be married to an imperfect mate, talk to my wife. Okay? She can let you know what it's like to strive to honor God in a context where there is a lack of perfection. The truth is this. Every human context lacks perfection. Okay? So it takes great trust to say, God, I'm going to do what's right in spite of the fact that some people around me aren't doing what's right. I'm not going to practice conditional obedience. I'm going to practice obedience to your original design stated in verse 3. I'm just going to honor you. It takes great faith and trust for a woman to honor God in a situation where her husband is not loving her as he should. And men, let me say this. God may have given you, within the context of family, a degree of authority. But I, if you ignore the, the gifts and the blessings, the wisdom and input, the appeal from your wife, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because God brought her into your life to be a counterpart, a complementary part of a new relationship. Now, he's given you a degree of authority in that relationship. But you're to work together as one, to cherish that woman, to love that woman. One writer has said this. He said, if you want to know the character of a man, you should look at the countenance of his wife. If you want to know what a man is really like, look at the countenance of his wife. 
Because sometimes women live under circumstances that are just flat out incredibly difficult. And it shows on their face. Men, God wants us to love our wives. He wants our children to see us loving our wives. Cherishing them. Appreciating their, their, their input. Receiving it humbly with a teachable spirit. And making decisions as the leader in the home. By using all of the resources that God, by His grace, has brought into your life. Verse 11, then, goes on to say something. It just begins with a statement that's fascinating. It says, in the Lord, however. Okay? And you say to yourself, okay, what, what is Paul doing there? In the Lord, however. Okay. Now, I, I think what Paul is doing is basically he's anticipating that he's made a strong statement and of the direction of the Spirit of God, there's going to be a balance now that is cast into the mix. Okay. In the context of Christian marriage, in the context of Christian church, there are fa- factors and variables that are present that redeem the brokenness of marriage that is prevalent in our world. The presence of the Spirit of God in a man and in a woman allow them to unite together and to be the husband and wife that God wants them to be. He redeems families by changing the hearts of people. So, let's look at what this says. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of the man, nor is man independent of the woman. Almost sounds like a complete contradiction to the earlier verse, doesn't it? What is Paul saying? He says, for, now here's why. Here's why they're not independent of each other. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Okay, so you say, okay, where's that going? All right? They, they are, I think the one thing we can say is this. They are not mutually independent. Okay, they... The idea is they can't survive alone. Both are critical to the God-intended purposes for marriage. So the third thought in your notes is this. By design, all relationships in the home are interdependent. Okay, all relationships in the home, by God's design, are interdependent. Now the thought that I think emerges very clearly in verses 11 and 12 is we, men and women, need God's help in order to have homes that are going to honor God and bring glory to Him. We need His involvement. Now, the fact that he says, in the Lord, carries some, some, I think, fascinating practical applications. Okay? I think one is this. He doesn't want us to try this arrangement out in the world. Okay? He wants us to honor this arrangement in the context of marriages that have been redeemed by His grace, where the Spirit of God is present where the gifts of repentance and forgiveness and restoration are present. You remember probably uh, watching uh, TV programs that are advertising four-wheel drive vehicles. Okay, and often in those those advertisements, it'll say something in, in in a corner in the bottom of the screen, something like this. Closed course, don't try this at home. Okay, Uh, this is a protected environment. Don't try this at home. Flip this around, because I think what Paul is saying, the exact opposite. He's saying, this God-ordained structure for Christians is to be tried and applied at home. Okay, because it will honor and glorify God. Because in the Lord, in that context of Christians, 
The restraints of the Spirit of God are present. The fruit of the Spirit of God is present. And the capacity to have a home that's going to glorify God is a very real possibility. Which should so excite us. If you have a home that is at some level broken, which is probably true for all of us here this morning, the presence of the Spirit of God in your heart and in your life, gifts of repentance and brokenness and restoration, all make possible a home that can be for God's glory. And the way you do that is this. Go back to, through these notes. First, accept God-ordained structures. They're given by Him for His glory and for our good. Proper respect and, and, and for one's mate honors God's original design. Ask God, how can I, in the context of my marriage, honor you in everything I do? And then third, by design, all relationships, remember this, all relationships in the context of your home are interdependent. The man needs his wife. The wife needs her husband. We're better together than we are when we are separated. And when we embrace that plan, it brings honor and glory to God. You want to bless your home this morning? Well, if I said this, if I said, raise your hand if you want a strong, godly marriage at home. How many of you would say, oh, I don't want that. But I think we all would say, you know what? I would love to have that. I would love to have that. Well, before I started, we sang a song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. In the song, Hosanna, we sang a phrase that said, come have your way among us. I wonder how many husbands this morning need to go home this morning and say to their wife, you know what? I need to rethink my relationship with you. I need to start to love you like Christ loves me because that's the model. Christ is the head of the husband. He loves the husband. The husband is the head of the wife in Christ's stead. What did Christ do for you, men? You know what the Bible says? It says he loved you and gave himself for you. He wants your wife to find joy in your marriage relationship because you pour yourself into that relationship in a Christ-like way and for the glory of God. He wants you to be interdependent, not independent. Men, look, here's our tendency with role relationships. Our tendency is to do one of two things. It's either to become dominant, domineering, demanding, or to become passive. And every man in this room has one of those two tendencies. Well, why? Because we're sinners who need to strive to find balance in the context of our marriage relationships. And the way we do that, men, is to say, you know what, honey? I want to be like Christ with you. I want to love you like Christ loves me. I want to sacrifice for you like Christ sacrifices for me. I want you to be a happy woman. I want people, when they look at your countenance, to say, that lady must have an incredible husband in her life. Now, young people, let me give you this challenge out of this text real quickly. What Paul is saying is that this model of God honoring relationships is only possible in the Lord. And you say to yourself, one day I'm looking for a mate. What's the first thing I should be looking for? Here's what it is. Someone who is in the Lord. Someone who has been born again by His grace, who has the extra blessings, not only being a person that you like and are attracted to, but they have the presence of the Spirit of God in their life, who, bring, who brings to bear in the context of your marriage the fruits of the Spirit. Which, if you read through them, tell me if there's anything in the list of the fruits of the Spirit you don't want in your life. 
gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. You know what? You want all of those things in your life. And the only way that you're going to find those things is to find a Christian mate. Bodies change. What's attractive changes. The word of the Lord remains forever. So when you date and you're looking for a mate, find someone who knows Jesus Christ. Let that, that should be the, 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 the foundation for your relationship. Do you know the Savior? Because if you do, then I think we can get along together if everything else works out. But if that is not present, I want to encourage you to do something. Run, because you can't fool God in this area. Can't. Can't. Find someone who loves God more than they love you, who is so in the Lord and into the Lord that it is affecting every part of their life. Ladies, this morning, I understand that this discussion on your part requires trust in God's design in the face of strong cultural pressure to resist and reject it. And what I want to encourage you to do is flee to the scriptures, read the text, say, God, is this what you're saying? And if it is, change my heart. If you're resisting and resenting the leadership of your husband, Say, God, just give me a gentle heart that wants to honor and encourage and help my husband to be the man that you want him to be. Recently, my wife was telling me a story about a lady that she had talked to within her church family who said to her, and this is just in, in, a, in a fun kind of conversation, not a counseling situation. She said, I am submitting to my husband, but sometimes it's so hard. You know, she just laughed when she said it. She said, yeah, I, it's someone that she said, I, I really want to. I really want to. You know what I believe? I believe God's going to honor that woman. You know what she's doing? She's just being simply honest that she, her husband's probably somewhat like me. <laughs> a little bit difficult, unpredictable at times. Men, can I say this to you this morning? If your wife is listening to this discussion about role relationships and she's rejecting it out of hand because of the way you act, you need to fall before God and say, God, change my heart. I haven't seen my relationship with her like Christ relates to me, serving me and caring for me. I've seen her as someone who does what I want her to do. Would you throw that away? And would you accept God's plan? Would you commit this morning to say, God, I want to make it a joy for my wife to follow my leadership in the context of our home. I want it to be a pleasure for her. And would you begin to care for her and nourish her and encourage her heart as she seeks to be the woman that God wants to be. Don't be responsible for killing the work of the Spirit of God in her heart. Be the man that leads and encourages her to be the woman that God designed for her to be. Because in that setting, she won't be the belligerent person who's trying to reject God-ordained authority. She's going to be the person who's humbly saying, I want to align my life, my marital relationship, with God's original design. Because that will honor Him. And since we are in the Lord, <laughs> that's possible. That's possible for the glory and honor of God. Make it a joy. Folks, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, it, this, this idea of the, the work within the Trinity of the self-sacrificing work of Jesus and the love of His Father is one of the most powerful truths that you will ever see. One of the most powerful truths that you will ever see. Because the Son loved the Father. He came. Here's what he says. In your book it is written, I have come to do your will. And what was the will of the Father? That the Son would go to the cross to redeem fallen humanity. To come into a relationship with Him. And the church then becomes with Christ in the Lord. The bride of Christ. We are His cherished possession. 
If you know the love of Christ, if you know the forgiveness of Christ, men, let your wife experience that. We love because He first loved us. Go back and revisit the cross. Taste again freshly the love of God in Christ that you have experienced if you've been born again. And if you haven't been forgiven by His grace, He obeyed His Father and shed His blood so that He could redeem you from your sin, from your rebellion, from your dominance in the home to humble you and make you his child he wants to change your life by his grace forever the blessings of the gospel come to us because the son did the will of his father would you bow your heads with me this morning